0: Let's turn in the Scriptures to Psalm 94. Let me begin reading God's Word in verse 1. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O Judge of the earth, Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? We ask the same things in our day. Just as in the days of the psalmist. Lord, how long will the wicked triumph? Between angry protesters, anarchist rioters destroying property and maiming or killing people, between corrupt politicians and biased reporters schooling Americans on their privilege or on their racist ideas, their sexism, their ignorance of science, their false beliefs in religion, their ancestral sins, or the wrath of Mother Earth, according to Nancy Pelosi. Between pseudo-scholar actors and activists calling now for Congress to be burned down if they don't get their way, if Trump were to push through a Supreme nominee and other things to happen. Burn it all down. Or irreligious talk show hosts that fake debate these anti-Christian talking points. These same putrid talking points over and over again. And anti-American propaganda. Just like the rest of the zombie crowd. The righteous ones in our day Righteous in Christ alone. They ask the same question. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? So we see six stanzas here in Psalm 94. Six main emphases. Let me give you those Points, those six main points. And then I want to say a couple of things about those main points before we dive into its exposition. But we see these six emphases the first being the righteous call on God to judge the wicked. And then secondly, the righteous present their case against the wicked. That'll be in the next set of verses, 4 through 7. Our third main point that we'll consider is that the righteous refute the defense of the wicked in verses 8 through 11. Our fourth point would be that the righteous rest their case in God until the judgment on the wicked in verses 12 through 15. And then the righteous Continue to stand against the evil of the wicked is that fifth point. And the sixth point, the righteous will see God's righteous judgment on the wicked. So we see all of those things here in this psalm. And each of the main points, 1, 3, and 5, can be paired with the following main points two, four, and six, to form a couplet. So one and two together. The righteous call on God to judge the wicked and present their case against them. Three and four go together. The righteous refute the defense of the wicked and they rest their case in God until judgment is made. And then five and six go together. The righteous continue to stand against the evil of the wicked. And we'll see God's righteous judgment poured out in their final destruction on Judgment Day. It is a marvelous song, And the question is, Lord, how long will the wicked triumph? And the lesson here is that the wicked will not triumph over the righteous. Not ever because God is their great defense. So this is, once more, another teaching that is emphatically affirmed with divine authority in the Bible, in God's Word. So let's consider that first main point. The righteous call on God to judge the wicked. That's in verses 1 through 3. Let me read again God's word. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs. Shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Why do the righteous cry out to God? There are two things here that we see, two fundamental things that we see. What the righteous know of God and what the righteous ask of God. So let's take a look at what the righteous know of God. The first thing is that he is the God of the covenant. Notice in verse 1, that covenant name of God, O Lord God. The psalmist is addressing him, the God of the covenant. God is the one who keeps covenant with his faithful people. Listen to how it's put by Moses in Deuteronomy 7, verses 9 and 10. Moses, speaking to that next generation, says this, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now listen to verse 10. Deuteronomy 7, verse 10. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. This is the God of the covenant that the righteous know. This is the one that is being addressed by the psalmist here as they cry out to the Lord. He is the God of the covenant. The God who loves them. Now we know that we as believers after the cross of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, has instituted that new covenant in his blood. And Paul says that by faith in Jesus, we have come to Mount Zion, to God the judge of all, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12. And a number of verses there. 22 down through 29. So we too, as New Testament believers, we know that God is the God of the covenant. He keeps covenant with his faithful ones. He's also the God of vengeance. We see that here in verse 1. To whom vengeance belongs. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. God is the one who punishes sin. And his glory shines forth even in punishment even in divine justice, just as His glory shines forth in grace. Another part of Scripture, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Deuteronomy 32. So vengeance belongs to the Lord. He avenges wrongdoing. He punishes sin. His glory shines forth in divine justice. And Paul even picks this up, this, this statement of God, and he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather, Give place for wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, the hope of the righteous is in the God of the covenant who will punish sin, who is the God who avenges all wrongdoing. And notice something else that the righteous know of God, that He is the judge of the earth. We see that in verse 2. Rise up, O judge of the earth. He's not just the judge of Israel. He's not just the judge a long time ago. He is the judge now. He is not limited by national boundaries. He's not limited by international alliances. He's certainly not limited by the mobs that we see running amok in the cities of America. God is judge of the earth and he will pay those who hate him their face that's what his word says this is what the righteous know of God that's why they call on him to judge the wicked and another thing that we see here that I mentioned before is they ask of God certain things so what the righteous ask of God and the first thing that they ask him is punish the proud we see that in verse 2 Render punishment to the proud. And then in verse 3, how long will the wicked triumph before you punish them? Now notice the labels there the proud, the wicked. Those are the sinners of any day, those are the sinners of every generation. The proud and the wicked. We're speaking about pride in an arrogant, self-sufficient way, especially when we trust in ourselves more than trusting in God. And wickedness, well, that is those who resist obeying the laws, whether they are civil laws or religious laws. Those who oppose God's standard by ignoring his word or subverting it those who foment rebellion just like we've heard recently with uh, AOC saying I need you to be ready that's her signal rise up for the revolution that is about to happen they subvert God's word in the land Proverbs 17 verse 23 says this a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. You see there are a lot of small interest groups that are buying politicians, buying the voice of a celebrity, a sports idol, or others that are in places of power where they can use their voice. They accept a bribe behind the back in order to pervert the ways of justice. In Proverbs 13, 5, God's Word says that a righteous man hates lying. But a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Now that word loathsome means that he is one that smells of death. He stinks. He's got a foul odor. That's what a wicked man is. A wicked woman is they they smell of the death of their own humanity and imagination that is separated from God. They're rotting as they stand and as they speak. And the politicians of our day, the celebrities of our day, when they mouth these great swelling words, they're speaking out death. So the application for us before we leave this point is this. It is not wrong for us to ask our great and glorious God to punish the proud and the wicked in our day. It's not wrong for us to ask Him to come and to judge. In fact, there are a number of other psalms that speak to this. David writing this in Psalm 25. Oh, my God, I, I trust in You. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. You see, we can take that psalm and we can pray that psalm. Another one, Psalm 27. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. You see, that's the problem the world wants to teach us, wants to teach our children and our grandchildren. But David says there, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses, lying witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. And he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I cry out to you, God, because I know that you will bring about good. And oh, God, punish the proud, punish the wicked, and bring in good in our land. So it's not wrong for us to ask God to punish the proud and the wicked. That's what we see here in this first main point. The righteous call on God to judge the wicked. They know God and they ask God certain things. Here in this next section, 4-7, through the righteous present their case against the wicked. So let's read that together. Verse 4. They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. So the righteous present their case against the wicked. They present their case to the judge over all. And there's three things that I want you to focus on in this section under this second main point. And that is, first, what the righteous justly charge the wicked of saying. What are the wicked saying? And then what do they do and what do they foolishly believe? So let's look at that first thing here. What the righteous justly charge the wicked of saying. Well, the first thing we see in verse 4 is they look down their noses at the righteous and they condemn them with arrogant speeches. That's that word insolent there. Arrogant speeches. And then we also see that they boast in themselves publicly. They, they do that blatantly, even though behind the scenes they are working iniquity. Notice how they are workers of iniquity. They plot evil secretly against the righteous. Now we don't have to look very far for examples of that in our day. I mean, it's paraded on the news networks, paraded on CNN with Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon and Cuomo and others, even on these cable shows and late-night shows with Stephen Colbert and Bill Mayer and others. They are making arrogant speeches, and they look down their noses at those who trust in God, and those who are boasting in themselves and yet working iniquity behind the scenes, people like Clinton or FBI agents or others who have worked to overthrow the government so that they could be in place and tell you how to live. They don't want Christ in your life. They want to be in charge of your life. Why do the wicked keep saying the things that they do? The last couple of weeks I've been putting a couple of verses in the bulletin. John 15. Let me read to you verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why do the wicked keep saying the things that they do? It's because they have a hatred for God. They have a hatred for God's word. And they have a hatred for those who are faithful to God. God's people. That's why they say what they do. And this is the righteous presenting their case against them before the judge of all the earth. So this is what they have justly charged the wicked of saying. Notice, secondly what they justly charge the wicked of doing. Verse 5, they are breaking God's faithful people in pieces. We can see the beginnings of that here in the United States with oppressive restrictions and mandates and fines, jail time, judgments against them. We also notice in verse 5 that they are destroying the property of God's faithful people. Notice how it says, and afflict your heritage. What was the heritage of the Lord? That was the land and its people. What's the heritage of the Lord under the new covenant? The whole earth and God's people spread everywhere. And here in the United States, the United States does not belong to unbelievers, the United States belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the unbelievers are afflicting his heritage. They are destroying the property of God's faithful people. Vandalism, burning, stealing, revoking licenses, taking property so that you can't even come and worship God in the same place. They're trying to break apart God's people. And then notice what else they are doing. The righteous justly charge the wicked of murdering the innocent and the infirm and the helpless. Verse 6. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Here in the United States we have seen even babies killed by drive-by shootings. We've seen Elderly men and women knocked to the ground. Not to mention that in 2019, Planned Parenthood killed 345,672 unborn babies, which is 146,703 more than supposedly died from COVID this year. What a corrupt society we live in. and that they want to do nothing about overturning the killing of unborn babies. Why do the wicked keep on doing it? Proverbs 6 gives us clues here. Proverbs 6, verse 12, A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth, Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. And then in 16 through 19, the same chapter, Proverbs 6, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Is there not evil going on today? Is there not lying and proud looks? Is there not hands that shed innocent blood? Is there not People who are sowing discord in our country and threatening violence with their temper tantrums if they don't get their way. What else do the righteous justly charge the wicked of doing? Foolishly believing certain things. Notice in verse 7. They do all of these things. They say all of these things. Yet they say, God doesn't see what we do. God doesn't see it. And God doesn't care what we do. That's this last part of verse 7. Nor does the God of Jacob understand. That is, He doesn't pay attention to these things. He doesn't hear. He doesn't pay attention. He doesn't care. He doesn't see. So the righteous is presenting their case of what the wicked say and do and foolishly believe. And is it not the same in our day here in the United States? And where is our refuge? Where is our hope? It's in the God of the covenant. It's in the judge of all the earth. How long will the wicked triumph, O Lord? Let's... Consider our third main point. The righteous refute the defense of the wicked. In verses 8 through 11, let's begin reading in verse 8. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct he who teaches man knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. They're worthless, they're vain. So notice how the righteous invalidate this stupid defense of the wicked. They say God doesn't understand In verse 7, and yet, what does the psalmist say? Look, you understand, you senseless, foolish people. He says, firstly, humanity's creator planted man's ear, so he certainly can hear the righteous cry out against the wicked. Humanity's creator formed man's eye, so he certainly can see what is happening to the righteous. It's ludicrous to believe that the Creator would abandon His creation. That's like men who father children and walk away and forget them. Deadbeat dads. God is not like that. It's like women who carry children for nine months and bear them only to neglect them while they satisfy their own selfish desires. God is not like that. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. So, God certainly can see and hear what is happening upon the earth, and he hears his beloved cry out to him for justice. And then the psalmist continues on saying, look, not only did he create these things, and he certainly knows, but God himself instructs or trains the Gentiles, the nations. And notice that it's in the present tense. He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct. He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord is instructing mankind in what is good and what is right. That is with natural revelation and the contact that they have with God's people who have the special revelation He has given to them. And yet, mankind suppresses the truth. Suppresses the truth in unrighteousness in order to soothe their guilty consciences that are accusing them day and night. Not only does the Lord instruct and train the Gentiles, the nations, the Lord corrects them. The Lord disciplines and destroys. Just as He did with Israel. Just as He did with Assyria. Just as He did with Babylon. Just as He did with all these other nations. The Lord corrects nations, not just Israel who had special revelation. Listen, the Lord used Assyria to punish the northern kingdom Israel. And then He sent His people into exile for their godlessness and their idolatry. And then Babylon rose to great power and destroyed Assyria. And then the Lord used Babylon to to punish the southern kingdom Judah. And he sent his people into exile for their godlessness and their idolatry. And he even let the temple that bore his name in Jerusalem to be destroyed. And yet God's word says after that that he used the kings of Medo-Persia to destroy Babylon. And the Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah about the kings of the Medes in this way. In Jeremiah 51, beginning in verse 20, he says about these kings of the Medes, You are my battle axe and my weapons of war, for with you I will break the nation in pieces. Which nation is he speaking about? Babylon. And he's going to use Medo-Persia to break apart Babylon. With you I will destroy kingdoms. And it even goes down to the individual level. With you I will break in pieces old and young governors and rulers. So God certainly knows how to correct nations by disciplining them. And then by destroying them if they refuse to accept correction. And the Lord does this because he knows that man's thoughts are full of himself. Fallen man's vision for the world is absolutely worthless without reference to Christ and his ways. That's what he says there in verse 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile or worthless. Vanity. Empty. Nothing but air. Nothing but imagination. They have no reference to God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn or the preeminent one over all of creation. For by him all things were created that are in Heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. So the Lord instructs the nations and He corrects them. What does that say about our nation? What is God doing in our nation? Oh, how we cry out for God to judge our nation. And it may be that He allows our nation to be broken apart. You see, even when the northern kingdom of Israel was broken and the remnant taken into exile, there were still those who were faithful to God in it. Even when He did that in the Southern Kingdom Judah with Babylon. There were still those who clung to God. And in our nation, if that were to happen, there are still those of us who cling to God. The God of the covenant. Our hope is in Him. And we pray that we need just discipline and not destruction. But God is the judge of all the earth. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We should hope in God that he will bring justice to bear on these proud and wicked ones without our country being completely decimated. So the righteous, they call on God to judge the wicked. They present their case against the wicked. The righteous refute this stupid defense of the wicked. And then in this Fourth main point, the righteous rest in God until judgment on the wicked. Notice verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest. You see that word rest there means relief. Rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. So the righteous, they have refuted the stupid defense of the wicked, and now they are resting their case by resting in God until the judgment on the wicked occurs. How do they do that? Well, we see here in verse 12, by heeding the instruction of the Lord through His Word. Heeding God's Word brings blessing. There's a whole lot more that I would dearly love to break open about this whole concept of man Throwing off God and throwing off God as teacher. Began in the garden when Adam sinned. God, no longer do we want you to be God over us. We don't want you to be sovereign over us. And we don't need your teaching. We're going to make up the rules now. We will determine good and evil for our world. So much that can be said about instruction, and how the wicked reject it, and how the righteous love it. They love God teaching His Word to them. They cling to it. They hope in it because it speaks of His glory and majesty. So by heeding the instruction of the Lord through His Word, that's how they rest their case. That's how they rest in God. And also, By finding relief, that is, peace in their heart from the Lord and the promises of God's Word. Especially in adversity. You see that in verse 13. That you may give him relief from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. They have peace in their hearts from these promises because they know at least two things here that there is a pit that awaits the wicked. And in contrast to that, all of Scripture speaks about a glorious promised land that awaits the righteous where God is pleased to dwell with them because God will not abandon His people. God will not forsake His inheritance. So they find relief. That's how they rest in God. They find relief in the promises of his word. And then notice also by steadfastly following righteousness in an unrighteous generation. God's judgment upon the wicked brings righteousness back to the throne. So they rest in God until the judgment. Let's look at that fifth point. The righteous continue to stand up against the evil of the wicked. They may be resting in the Lord, but they continue the fight. They are spiritual warriors in their generation. They refuse to let evil have the upper hand. They will be the ones that speak up for God in their generation. Will you be the ones that speak up for God in your generation? Let's look at that in verse 16 through 19. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up and the multitude of my anxieties within me. Your comfort delights my soul. The righteous continue to stand up against the evil of the wicked ones. They are not alone in their stand. There's a call that goes out. You see, the righteous often wonder who will rise up to help them. Who will rise up? and yet legs are given to them. Notice in verse 18, he says, If I say my foot slips, your mercy, Lord, will hold me up. He's already standing. He's not taking it sitting down. He's not taking evil sitting down. He rises up. And he calls, Who will rise up with me? Who will stand against the evil? So they stand for themselves. Listen to how the Lord encourages the righteous in Isaiah 51. He says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. Isaiah 51, verses 7 and 8. The righteous speak out against evildoers. That's the second thing we see here. The righteous speak out against evildoers with the Lord's help. They are not silent. Not only have they been given legs to stand up against the evil, they've been given a voice. They are to not be silent, but to speak for Christ in their day. Luke chapter 21, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this to them in verse 12. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. God is the one who gives us a mouth to speak for him. God gives us wisdom. Now, we need to study our Bibles. We need to be prepared to give an answer for those who ask us. We need to be catechized. We can't just look at verse 14, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. It's like, I don't need to read my Bible. You know, God will just give it to me on the fly. God doesn't work that way. Open your Bible and study it. Memorize it. Read it day by day. God will give you a mouth. God will give you wisdom if you are faithful to Him as you study Christ in the Word. So the righteous, they stand up, they speak out with the Lord's help. And notice another thing here, a third thing that we see is that the righteous trust in the Lord's mercy to uphold them when they are attacked by evildoers. You know, some of the things that evildoers say about the righteous They may stick. Some of those things that you've done in your past life, that former life where you have sinned against God, they may stick and hurt. But the righteous, they trust in God's mercy. God withholding punishment from the righteous because He has poured out His punishment upon Jesus in our place. So we trust in the Lord withholding punishment from us because our sins have been paid for and yes, those former sins may be brought up by the devil, brought up by your enemies and yet God will uphold you. God will give you strength. And what else do we see there? The Lord will bring comfort. They delight, the righteous delight in the Lord's Comfort, even in their many anxious moments. You see, it is God's arms around the righteous that protect them when they stand against evil. It is God's words that protect them as they speak His words to their enemies. So, this is how the righteous are not alone in their stand against the wicked. They continue to stand against it. Will you continue to stand, or will you grow so weary of the fight that you just give up and you fall into silence? And I'm telling you, that's not God's way. I'm telling you, that's not what God encourages us to do. Don't be silent. We need more and more Christians to speak for Christ in our generation. To speak about the glories of what His life, His work, His death means for us. That we might be prepared for that new world that is coming. Not the new world of socialism, but the new world of the Savior and King of righteousness. This last point then Not only do the righteous continue to stand up against the evil, the righteous will see God's judgment on the wicked. Let's look at that in verses 20 through 23. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense. And my God, the rock of my refuge, he has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. Notice how he opened this, where he cried out to the God. To whom vengeance belongs. He said that twice in verse 1. And here in the last verse, he speaks about how God will cut off the wicked. When he says something twice, that means it will surely happen. The righteous are encouraged by the Lord, even while under the dominion of evil authorities. Potentially their most dangerous adversaries. We see that in our day, don't we? When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Proverbs 29.2 Oftentimes our greatest threats are evil rulers and evil lawmakers. They have the power of the pen, they have legislation to write against God's people, and they have the power of the sword to execute even God's people. The righteous know something here about God. You see it there in 20, verse 20. The righteous know that there is no union ever between the Lord and a throne of iniquity. Between the Lord and evil lawmakers. No union at all. And the righteous know that evil authorities will condemn innocent blood and will plot against the righteous. But they hold on to the truth that the Lord will be their rock of refuge in this life. The Lord will be their unassailable defense at the judgment. And the righteous know that the Lord will bring down on the heads of the wicked their own evil schemes. We have read something of that in an example of the life of Esther. Now Haman wanted to kill Mordecai and yet Haman was hung on his own platform. God will surely cut off the wicked forever from the promised land, verse 23. So this is the consistent message of the Bible. The Lord is with the righteous. He will punish the wicked. So we need to get right with God and stay right with God. By way of closing this message here, I want to encourage you by joining this together with a portion of Psalm 37. Listen to how it reads here. Psalm 37 beginning In verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passed away, and behold, He was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. What an encouragement. Consistent message of the Bible all throughout All throughout the Bible, it reads like this. Wait on the Lord. Keep His way and trust in the Lord. He will avenge His saints. Our hope is in Him. The righteous will most certainly see God's righteous judgment on the wicked. Let's ask our God to help us in our days. Let's go to him in prayer.